If I told you what that what I put them lads through, you wouldn't believe it. Curling has to be the most difficult, eye-hurting sport I've ever witnessed. Ladies and gentlemen, we've been described as the bridesmaids of Harlan, but today we got married. Oh, there's no rules. This guy just grabbed the ball, threw it up in the air, and then hit it. Both, both of hearts, like, I'd like to thank you, the people of Wexford, who stuck with us to take a taste. Hello and welcome to episode 14 of the Hurling Podcast. Replacing Damien Fitzhenry in the goal for Wexford was never going to be easy. But since 2013, this week's guest has been doing just that. He's also provided Wexford fans with one of the moments of the summer last year, when he stepped up to smash home the only goal of last year's Leinster final win against Kilkenny. And that's where we start in our chat with Mark Fanning. What was going through your mind running back after scoring that penalty in the Leinster final? I don't really remember a whole lot from the game, Ben, to be honest. Um, um, I think the first, the first recollection that came into my head after the penalty would have been that we need to really tune in here for the last kind of two minutes to see this over the line because I suppose Kilkenny, if any team, that could really hurt you towards the end of a game with maybe a couple of sucker punches of a goal or two. Um, that would have been probably the first thing anyway. Um, it's kind of a strange thing, I suppose, popping into your head straight away, but that would have been the first thing I'd say, yeah, to be honest, that we really need to be tuned in here now for the last the last 10, 12 minutes or whatever it was. That you know, we, I think the penalty put us two ahead, and I think Lee Moore got a point then to put us three ahead, and you were saying to yourself, right, we really need to focus here now. Because I suppose with the likes of Colin Fenley, TJ Reid, top-class forwards, they, they could really strike at any minute. And a goal, I suppose, that late in the game like that would have been a real sucker punch, I suppose, really, having gone ahead. Just really, let's let's tune in here and let's 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 see this one out. I suppose from a defensive point of view, really, you know, that really kind of shows the focus that you had on on the whole thing. Like, do you think maybe a couple of years previous that if that had happened, you wouldn't you wouldn't have kept the focus? Um, I don't know. It's it's hard to say. I suppose. Um, to be honest, I suppose as a unit, myself, the six lads, and Kevin, we were. We're really kind of building a, a, a cohesion and a, and a unity and a real kind of a solidity between the kind of, I suppose, the eight of us, you could say, that constantly onto each other. We're constantly talking, constantly keeping each other tuned in. And I suppose we kind of pride ourselves on. We were pretty solid last year during the championship. We didn't leak too many goals. And, you know, I suppose the few goals that we probably did leak were kind of more our errors, really, more so than kind of being really carved open or anything. So kind of defensive cohesion really and, and a kind of a solidity there that we, we, we kind of pride ourselves on at the moment as we're pretty decent at the back end we we, we like to we, we're kind of taking a good bit of pride in that really at the moment you know it's probably down to that really more than anything and I suppose maybe a couple of years ago there's also the element of we were very much new to the Leinster finals the big games Crow Park you know the big crowds and stuff so we would have kind of played in the odd big game kind of over the few years previous but um, learning a new system that as well so it was very much down to those those couple of things I suppose really was what, what kind of and, and a bit more experience as well I suppose you're looking at the likes of Jippo and these guys now who are mid-twenties a lot of experience already like Jippo was you know 18 years of age when he came on the scene in 2014 he's been part of very successful under 21 kind of set up there for three years with JJ Dial and you know Mac and these guys so Kevin the same the same boat and then I suppose you got in the experience of Maybe myself, Matthew O'Hanlon, Sean Murphy, to kind of really kind of 
kind of solidify it again. Like, you know, that's that's probably really where it comes down to, I suppose. When you say uh, we're constantly talking to each other, does that mean you're constantly barking orders from the goal? Or, or what way are you? <laughs> um, no, I wouldn't say I'm constantly barking orders. I, I'd say, like, look, I suppose between myself and Kevin, um, particularly, I suppose we kind of are very much the eyes and ears, if you like, for, for the, the six other lads, really. And it kind of gives the lads, I suppose, uh, a kind of a, a confidence that they can really only kind of worry about their man, really. And, and they don't have to, not caught into a mind. Myself and Kevin will give them instructions and, do you know what I mean? So it's kind of, it's kind of really between myself and Kevin. And to be fair to the lads, do you know, the likes of Dooley. Dooley is very vocal there at the back as well. Simon Dunahoo, Chippo as well, to speak to when he, when he wants to match you and the lads in the halfback line are, are constantly communicating and talking as well. So it's probably more of a kind of a unit thing, really, more so than just myself kind of constantly roaring and shouting at the lads, um, to be honest. So it's kind of more the eight of us really kind of being in, kind of being in cohesion and kind of in touch with each other constantly. It would have been one thing that, you know, we would have made a point of over the last kind of three, four years that, and, and, and Davey would have spoke kind of regularly about it in his time with Claire that, you know, as a unit, as a goalkeeper and a set of six backs at that time, that they were constantly onto each other, constantly, even if it was only a kind of a, you know, a jippo well done or a kind of a just a tap on the back type of a thing, they were constantly in contact and, and, and communication with each other. And, you know, that's kind of what we're looking to bring to it as well, really, as, as a unit of eight, that we're, we're constantly onto each other and constantly keeping each other tuned in. You'd mentioned that the, you don't remember much from the match, but in the last, I think it was in the last minute, there was a bit of a scramble in the box and Fenley kicked one just past the post. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did, did you know it was going wide? Was there panic? To be honest, I, I literally only, I didn't even see Colin Fenley even getting the ball in his hand and all of a sudden the ball was trickling wide kind of at the post. And, and look at it, it comes back down to what I was kind of saying to Ben a couple of minutes ago that, you know, like if ever there was a team that could have hurt you in that kind of a situation, it would have been Kilkenny, like, you know, with the powers that they have. And I suppose they're, they're, they're kind of, their mentality over the years of, of getting late goals and, and kind of coming back when people think they're dead and buried. So, you know, I suppose it was probably, it was kind of a strange incident really that, you know, there was such a scramble there and there were so many bodies there in front of you that kind of even hard to see how Fenley even got it in his hand, to be honest, to be fair to him, but he managed to get it into his hand somehow anyway and, and, and nearly kind of, nearly pull off a goal for Kikini, you know, but I think there's an element of, you know, you have to ride your luck maybe a little bit at times as well you know, to, to win big games and win, and win trophies as well. So, look, we, we, we definitely did that with that incident anyway, to be honest, you know. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, if Wexford had made that even 1% easier for Fenley, he probably would have stuck it. But the doggedness of the defendant meant that he couldn't do anything but just swipe a foot at it. And Absolutely. Like, to be fair to the lads, like, they weren't giving him a whole lot of time or a whole lot of space to maybe swing a stick or even get a good kick on it, you know, to be fair, or even be able to throw it out to another Kenny forward. So... I think that uh, the lads probably deserve huge credit for that as well. They were able to crowd him out there and, and put the pressure on him that he couldn't get a clean strike or a clean kick or even throw off a half-decent pass maybe to somebody a, bit, a little bit further back that could have got a good strike. So, yeah, the, the last couple of minutes there, it was, it was kind of it was a mad scramble, all right. But look, we managed to, we managed to see that, that kind of out anyway, to be fair. And, and, and look, thankfully, we got over the line that day. You know, it was great. I think he, just Colin Fenley himself, kind of shows how good Liam Ryan is. In those two games, Fenley he wouldn't have done that much damage. But then in the next games after, he seemed to bully all the all the fullbacks that he was marking. Like, what, what would you like think of? Would he be one of the top fullbacks in the country? Look, there's no doubt about it that that Liam, to be fair to him, 
he is and I think you only have to look at kind of his performances last year and over the last probably few years and you know unless I'm very much mistaken he got an all-star nomination in, four, in 2014 at, at maybe 18 or 19 years of age and, and he's had a few nominations over the last few years as well so he's, he's as solid as a rock and to be honest with you it's great to play behind him because you know it, it's kind of it's very much an armchair right at times and he gives you great protection and to be fair to him himself and Fenley, I've had many a battle over the last couple of years and look well I suppose they probably will have will have more of them to kind of come in the next few years as well. And to be fair to Colin Fenley, he's a top class forward as well. And you know, he, he's a handful probably for any fullback and he has even been a handful for Jippo on, on certain days as well. And to be to be fair, thankfully Jippo Jippo probably probably has done well on him the last couple of occasions anyway, yeah, to be fair, you know, which is which is great for us. He obviously took the penalty in the Leinster final last year, but two years ago in the Leinster final, you weren't taking the penalty. What was the thinking behind that? Like, why? Like, you had been on him previous, and then obviously you weren't on him. To be honest, I, I, I think that over the course of that year in 17, I don't think I'd been hitting him that well, to tell you the truth. We'd played a couple of challenge games and a couple of league games, and that, and, and I'd missed a few of them. I remember a challenge match against Corkton and CIT, missed one that day. Um, and, a, and a couple of challenge matches I'd missed him I think I got one against Galway maybe in the league early on I hadn't had a great record on him that year and I suppose look at just the way that the game was going I suppose that day Mac had played quite well and Mac was kind of I think he was taking the freeze at that stage as well so I think it's just the way it kind of happened that look at Mac probably didn't strike it maybe as well as he wanted to but sure, I suppose if Mac buries it that day and, and, and we kind of we win another Leinster Championship on that particular occasion then it's not really much of a talking point but I'd say that probably you know and to be honest with you it was probably the right call on the day anyway and over the course of that year, Ben, to be honest, that look, I just wasn't hitting him that well and it probably just as well that, you know, I, I think that the lads kind of decided that they weren't going to start it out themselves in the forward. So, Max stepped up. Look, unfortunately, he didn't, he didn't convert, but we, thankfully, we, we got over the line then in 19. Did you come in with the foot down then after that, say, these are mine? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't know, to be fair. No, I, I don't think, to be honest, I don't think that had worked out quite well for you, but had I went in with the foot down and Telling Davy this, that, and the other thing, you know, to be fair. But I know, look, it was just the way it worked out. That fortunately, on the day, it didn't, it didn't work out for Mac. And thankfully, in nineteen, I was able to strike it and and, and score it or whatever. But I suppose it comes down to experience as well. Like I suppose in seventeen, it was kind of our first senior Leinster final, and the massive crowds that were in Coe Park that day. And it was just down to the, the the occasion on the day that I suppose maybe if Mac had his time again, maybe he might do something different. But to look at, I suppose, hindsight is a great thing as well, really. But nine times out of 100, you back Max to convert it. It was just the one occasion, unfortunately, that, you know, it didn't, didn't quite happen. 16 against Offaly, that you scored the penalty in Wexford Park, hit the back stanchion. Yeah. You were running back then thinking you scored. At what point did you realise that he hadn't given it? Well, I kind of had felt before I started running back that he hadn't given it. I kind of remember the ball coming back into play and the lads, I think Davey Dunham and Paul Morris had kind of ran after it to try to chase it down and there wasn't really much of a, a kind of a decision to kind of let the goalie poke it out. I think it just played on from there or whatever. So I'd kind of known pretty much straight away that he hadn't given it. But I suppose, look, at in fairness to Johnny Ryan, he's a top-class referee and it just comes down to human error, I suppose, on the day. His umpires, look at the lads, they made a mistake and... You know, Johnny made the mistake as well, and Shaluk was. It was just probably lucky for Johnny, for Johnny and his team's point of view that it probably wasn't tight in the end, or it didn't come down to maybe awfully winning by a point or two, or whatever the case was. Because I suppose it would have created a situation something similar maybe to what Mead and Loud would have been in 2010, mm-hmm. Leinster football final. 
the kind of mess that that created afterwards, you know, because you wouldn't, you wouldn't want that for a referee either, like, you know, because at the end of the day, we're all human, we make mistakes, and, you know, unfortunately, Johnny and his team made a mistake that day, but you wouldn't, still wouldn't have, have wanted what possibly might have to, to came, come their way, I suppose, afterwards, if, if, if Offaly had it maybe won by a point or two, like. How did you become the penalty taker in the first place? Is it in training, messing around, and everybody goes, takes a few penalties, and you establish yourself of being very good at it, or do you just need to put your name forward and there's a question asked who wants who, or who who's interested in taking penalties and you're putting your name forward and you're then going up against others in competition? No, I don't, I don't think it's 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 not really either of those two things. I, I don't think, Gary, to be honest. I suppose it's really kind of down to players that you have and, and, and maybe there's an element of who's striking them well at the time really as well. And in 17, again, like I wasn't striking them that well I can't even remember really where it started for me. I can remember underage with the club maybe striking him at, at, at 15 and 16 years of age or whatever, all right. And I think it kind of it kind of started there from there, really. I was kind of, I established myself kind of would have been hitting him with the club and stuff. And even with 21s, if we'd have needed a goal towards the end, um, probably would have taken that. And I'm not really sure where it comes from, to be honest. Like, I suppose, like, the goalkeepers are striking so many balls, probably... Probably as good a striker maybe as what's on any team. And I suppose Fitz, Fitzy, I suppose Davy and Damien Fitzhenry probably started the trend for goalkeepers. We are giving managers and coaches the idea for taking them probably in the mid-90s anyway. So they were well able to convert them as well in their day. We have a lot of lads in our setup that that probably could strike them and would strike them for the club anyway, um, to be honest. And Dean Eden Nunn obviously striking the last kind of 80 months or two years there for us as well. And um, Jack O'Connor is well able to hit a penalty because he's a good striker of the ball. You know, Mac would probably take one maybe for Gory as well, possibly if 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 Gory got one in the club. So, um, like look at obviously Lee is the free taker, great striker of the ball. He he'd probably fancy his chances as well. So we're probably actually looking in that situation that if I didn't if I didn't step up and take one, maybe we'd we'd have plenty of lads probably that would be able to do it anyway. And like look at I suppose it, it's not really something that's that's overly practiced in training either. To be honest with you, we. We kind of do practice a bit of it at, at certain stages in the year because obviously it, it's it's an important thing to practice. And I think that from my own perspective as a goalkeeper, the way it's gone now with the one-on-one situation, you kind of have to practice it from both ends really, I suppose, as the striker and getting used to facing it as well. So very lucky to be able to have the lads there to be able to use them, that taking them on you as well. Like, you know. So yeah, so what's your opinion on that On from, from both perspectives, from both... The person striking the ball and being in goal, the new penalty rule. Did you prefer the old one? Are you happy with the new one? Um, well, I suppose there was there were the, there was kind of a couple of versions of the old one there for a while. Obviously, there was the one where there was the three lads on the line and the goalkeeper could take it in past the twenty-one, nearly almost as far as he likes. Um, and Nash kind of put a stop to that really in kind of two thousand and thirteen. And then there was the one in kind of fourteen, then where there was three lads in the goal line and you could strike it. The way it is now, you could only strike from the 21. I think in 2014, there wasn't too many of them scored that year. And that obviously led them to um, the, the way they have it now, which is a one-on-one situation. But look at that, to be fair, like I, I, I kind of, from a goalkeeper's perspective, I suppose, pressure is very much off you when you're standing in the goal for them anyway, because I suppose everybody would expect that top-class forward would, would, would be converting them 99 times out of 100. So the kind of pressure is very much off you. I suppose too, when you're a striker, it kind of flips back on you this you're kind of you're very much fancy to score and convert, to be honest. But I think from from that perspective as as the striker, the penalty, it's really kind of getting your lift right and and, and I think that's the most important part of it is, is is the rise of the ball. The rest follows through then really kind of after that. 
So I think once you once you can really kind of focus on that and get get the get the lift right, you're 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 kind of you know seventy five to eighty percent there really, and it's just about kind of following through on the strike then after that. So would you prefer the way it is now, one on one, than we'll say go back to when there was three on the line, but you were you were allowed to bring it forward? I think now the way it is, probably now one on one. To be honest, is it kind of it really kind of puts the pressure on the striker and. It's kind of a bit more, a bit more exciting for the supporters and that as well. So, and even from a goalkeeper's perspective as well, if 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 you kind of if you stop one, like you're, it's, it's a great boost for yourself and for the team as well. So, yeah, I'd say if I if I probably had to pick, to be honest, I'd, I'd probably pick it the way it is now. To be honest, I think it's 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 been pretty good so far. So it adds a bit more excitement from from a supporter's perspective, and you know it seems to be adding. There seems to be more. The conversion rate is probably pretty high. I'd say in the last in the last couple of years. So. It, it's definitely it's definitely adding to that to more goals in games and ultimately goals are the deciding factor in games too which is which is which is great as well. I really miss the carnage of three lads in the goal or six lads in the goal and first twenty one yard free and fella brings up to fourteen. It was pure class. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't great from from our perspective now in the goal. All right, so I remember. <laughs> I, I, I remember. I remember playing a Waterford uh, a Waterford Crystal match with. With WIT down in down in Parky Rain, and this would have been, I'd say, around 2013, and and in Ashes in the goal for Cork that day, and they got a penalty, and uh, not even Godney, he was, he, I think he could have even have been in past the 14 striking, and I didn't even see the ball, I just heard it going by me here, and I was, I was kind of thinking to myself, geez, it was just as well I didn't get hit by that because it would have been, just to do awful damage to a fella, but um. Was, that was probably from that perspective it's probably no harm to change the rule alright so there's a lot of contenders for taking penalties on the extra team but who would be the last lad you'd trust to take a penalty <laughs> <laughs> Liam Ryan 100% would be the last lad I, I'd tell you the truth no, I'd give it to anybody else I'd, I'd be bringing on subs and everything now before I let you get it though no offence to the lads on the line or anything but Liam Ryan def- definitely Liam Ryan definitely the very last lad well, no, no, I don't think there's any offence to the lads on the line. I think the offence there is fully at Liam Ryan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that's very clear anyway. You'd be kind of practising, you'd be practising kind of before training and stuff. And, you know, like, Chippo hasn't got the best record there now over the last couple of years. He, 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 likes, to, he likes to think that he's, he's not too bad at him, all right? But no, no, Chippo, Chippo wouldn't be, he wouldn't be top of my list anyway, to be honest. He wouldn't be top of my list. <laughs> in 2016, early in the championship against Dublin, you you weren't playing. How much of a setback was that for you? I suppose, kind of at the time. Uh, at the time, it was probably there's kind of two ways of looking at it. I suppose looking at it now, to be fair to the management and Liam, and um, it was 100 percent the right call. And you know, I I wasn't playing as well as I should have been, and I wasn't playing as well as as what was needed at the time. At the, I probably at the time I, I probably struggled with it and confidence would have taken a huge a huge blow to be honest with you, but I suppose given the fact that you know to be fair to be fair to Birdie he had a super campaign with Lowler the whole way through the county championship that year went on won Leinster was a very influential figure for Lowler with kind of the way he plays and the sharp hook to be honest like look at I just I wasn't playing well and Birdie was playing better than me and you know that's just unfortunately that's the nature of the beast that. It's very much cutthroat that way. If you look at if you're not up to scratch and your farm is not good, then the next lad comes in and, and, and replaces you. And that's you know, that's just the way it has to be, um, to be honest. But look, I suppose at the time, like I'd say it was a huge blow to the confidence and I, I struggled with it for a long time. I think I, I spent probably nearly four or five months out of the team between 
after the second league game, I think against Clare, I had a particularly poor day that day. I think Birdie got in then after that for, for the next game. And to be fair to him, played well. He was very, 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 very consistent, very solid. Had it finished off the league, played very well, particularly in, in, in the quarterfinal that year against, against Waterford and Wexford Park. Yeah, look, unfortunately, that night against Dublin, it was, I suppose it was it was a team collective thing that, you know, it really didn't go well for us. Um, and I suppose Lehman, the management, probably felt as though Maybe they, they had to make changes or maybe to revert back to experience or whatever. I'm not quite sure on it. But, you know, that's kind of the way that went, I suppose. And, and to be fair, to hold your hands up and looking back on it now, you'd say 100% the right call. Not at the time. Just a, ah, like, no, look, not at the time. Look, there was no sourness towards towards them or the management or to Birdie or anybody like that. It, it definitely wasn't that way, to be fair. Um, it was just kind of more me struggling with it from the point of view that it was a huge blow to my confidence and I found it quite hard to kind of deal with from that perspective to be honest so it wasn't a case of that I was I, I, you know I wasn't throwing the ties out of Pram didn't, wasn't sour with, with Liam and the management or, or, or Birdie for that matter I just my confidence just would have taken a huge blow kind of at that time and kind of struggled really to to kind of get my confidence back for a long time really to kind of even to push Birdie to kind of taking it back off him again but you know I suppose the way it kind of happened um, it was all kind of trust back. It was it was kind of flipped on its head again, and you know I was kind of back in then for the for the following game against Offaly qualifiers. And to be fair, we had a decent run that year. We we played reasonably well against Offaly in in Wexford Park that day. Don obviously got caught then for the first time in a, in a long long time in in the championship, and then struggled to get over the line against Waterford. Turles really, which was which was disappointing considering the how well we played the previous day against Cork. Must be. Um... One of the more tougher places to be to be a sub keeper. There's nowhere else, like if you're if you're a defender or an attacker, there's a number of positions you can go to. But if you're a sub keeper, there's only the one place on the team where you can go. Like from from my perspective, I suppose at the, at the, um, I suppose I've been kind of lucky, really. That you know, from from minor, I suppose the right right the way through to to now, I suppose that was kind of the the longest that I was out really out of the team, and I suppose it kind of. It really made you kind of appreciate starting from a goalkeeper's perspective. It can be quite tough, really, I suppose, particularly early in the year when you're doing all the tough training, when you're you're getting flogged above in ferns or you're doing all the pre-season stuff. And I suppose when you're when you're second-choice goalkeeper at that point, the motivation, I suppose, it can be, it probably might be quite hard to motivate yourself. I could understand it from that perspective. It's, I suppose, if trying to give me an opinion on it now is is kind of difficult because I suppose I've been. I've probably been reasonably lucky, I suppose, over the last over my career. That I haven't experienced it kind of too often, really. Lads, to be honest, um, so I can only kind of imagine, really, and kind of only speculate as to what it might be like. Be sure, it would be it would be very tough, really, because again, Gary, like you said, like you know, if you're if you're a back, like you could maybe break it. There's two cornerback positions up for grabs. There's possibly two wing back positions up for grabs, and you know, you might sneak in there, full back or centre back, either. Really, do you know what I mean? Even take. The way it's gone now at the moment, lads are so versatile at the minute. Joe Connor is a prime example. Like Joe was probably a, a very versatile player. He came on wing back last year in the other semi final and would have hurled midfield for the Martins kind of as soon as he broke into their senior team. Has played kind of cornerback for us this year in Walsh Cup and league matches. I'd be very confident that Joe, if Jippo was injured or Jippo was. Whatever was was wasn't wasn't playing that Joe could come in and do a job at fullback first as well, like you know, and that I suppose that kind of really shows as to where the game is going really with, with the versatility of lads really too. But I suppose from 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 my perspective again, it's kind of it's kind of difficult to be able to say really on on, on the goalkeeping thing. It's 
obviously it will be quite tough um, because there literally is only one position that you can go for. And if the lad is, if the lad that's the head of is playing well, you know it can be it can be quite hard to move him. But I suppose really from 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 that perspective, if if you are second choice, really all you can do is kind of bide your time, keep yourself kind of right, train as hard as you can, and kind of wait for your opening. And if you get your chance, kind of make sure you take it. And you kind of need to really be ready if first choice does get injured or suffers through a lack of form that you're really ready to get in and hit the ground running and be able to contribute to the team because I suppose the goalkeeping position now is it's far beyond kind of just stopping the ball and, and driving it down the field really as, as what it might have been previously. So you really have to be able to do do a lot of things now and to be able to contribute to the team. And How important is it to have competition for the place or a strong second choice to be pushing you on? I mean, you've had a lot of good keepers that have been second choice to you. Nesty Breen was there, Aina Martin, Noel Carton, yeah. he sub to you as well. I wasn't in the panel at the same time as Noel. I think in 2010, first year with a minor, Noel would have been in the goal that year for Wexford. Now I was, I suppose that year was kind of a strange year because Fitzy had retired and Wexford were kind of in the position which they hadn't been for a long number of years where they were trying to find the first choice goalkeeper and there was probably a few of us were, were kind of vying for the position all right under Colin Bonner and kind of brought in for the trials and into the training panel at the start of the year and you know, I suppose I was I was I was probably very young at the time. I was only eighteen and nineteen years of age. So Noel was in it that year, but I'm not sure for whatever reason wasn't in it then when I kind of broke into the panel in two thousand and twelve. No, I wasn't. I wasn't kind of with Noel. I was with Nesty, all right, and I was with um, Aina and, and, and Birdie and you know, like obviously young James Lawler is in now this year as well from the twenties last year, and and Aina is still still there as well. So between the three of us, there now we've we've a great little setup. To be honest, the training was great. Any night that we, we've kind of had the three of us together, we're, you know, lamping balls at each other, kind of keeping each other on our toes. Great to have the two lads to the calibre that they are, because look at obviously James from his perspective, very ambitious kind of a young fella. But when you're young that age, you know, no fear. He, he very much kind of has it in his head that he wants to play and go for extra long term, and he's very much pushing for the position. And I suppose Aina, from Aina's perspective, has hurling the goal for Wexford, be it minor and senior as well, and probably under 21. So, Aina's experience there as well and to be fair Aina trained with Fitzy so is definitely bringing that to the setup. he gives you kind of advice that Fitzy would have given him over the years and that as well so it's great to be able to tap into that but from the lads perspective two top class goalkeepers in their own right it's just about kind of pushing each other and trying to make each other as best as best we can and I suppose to contribute again for the team and make the team as best as, as, as possible really so Wexford can get over the line really that's really what it comes down to Now a minor you came in and you were on the under 21 team for two years it took your, your last year in the under 21 before you were called into the senior team was it? Yeah so I, the way it worked was I was I was minor 08 or 09 um, and in 2012 obviously Liam, Liam, Liam took the job to be fair to him there wasn't there wasn't a, a massive queue or anything to take the job for Wexford hurling it. And Liam went in and I think he brought a lot of us through that he would have had at minor in 08. Obviously, I was listening to Paul Morris's podcast there that, that he'd done with you guys. And there was myself, Paul, Sean Murphy, Owen Moore, Andrew Shore, Shane Tompkins, Gary would have been, you know, brought through at that time as well. There was a, a huge number of us, I think, got Liam's minor team in 08 that were brought through in 2012. And... Were kind of blooded at, at that stage, so that was kind of my pathway through to it. Um, in 2012, then I was so obviously I would have been 21. And Aina was I should look at, I suppose, Aina was in the goal that year and did very well and provided an awful lot of experience to the position that year. I suppose, from my perspective, I was definitely too young and you know, was still only learning my trade, I suppose, at under 21 level, really. To 
wasn't probably quite ready to make the jump to the senior. So that was kind of really the path that, that it, it took for me, to be honest. To say you have to, be, you have to be a bit mad to be a goalkeeper in soccer, but that, that must be tenfold when it comes to hurling, does it? <laughs> and are you a bit mad? I've heard that thing said a couple of times, all right. I'm not sure. I, I haven't quite kind of copped whether it's are you a bit mad or are you a bit, uh, are you a bit stupid, really, at times. But... Um, I know, look, I, I, to be honest with you, I suppose I know nothing different, lads, to tell you the truth. I was, I was putting the goal at five years of age over in, over in Glynn when I first started. I, the, mother, the mother says to me that the very first match I ever played, I was in the goal and kind of never really came out of it, really. I, 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 I never really heard out the field at all. So, you know, I know nothing different, really, to tell you the truth. You know, I was very lucky that I had good people in the club to kind of guide me, I suppose, and... Over, over the years and good coaches and good managers and good people to work with you kind of when you were hurling the goal as well Tom O'Brien David Jorak the list is endless kind of and I, I wouldn't, wouldn't really like to start listing people out properly you now because I would have feared that you forget someone but I suppose from, from that perspective I, you know, I don't really know any different to be honest it's you know I suppose when you first start in the goal at that level then and you carry it right the way through I, I, it's just the way it is I'd, I'd be running around I'd say like a kind of a headless chicken alright if I was hurling out the field now I'd say Totally enjoy it, love it. Um, great position to play in, really. So you were playing in, I think, 09. Is it that, uh, we call it a famous game against Galway? Oh, no, no that, that, would have been, that would have been 08, the quarterfinal down in Turles. That was 08, that was, um, yeah, that was the game where we had Galway a bit with, with kind of a couple of lads on them as well. I think they got two men sent off that day and we were kind of a bit naive maybe at times as regards how the two spare men were used, but it kind of comes back down to, again, hindsight after the fact really I suppose and it's, it's a great joke but look at I suppose from a management perspective that day Liam, Tom, Billy Byrne and Albert they played the spare men I suppose how they felt was best unfortunately it didn't get us over the line but sure, look at that's not to say that even if Galway had had 15 men on the field towards the end there that they wouldn't have come back and, and maybe beat us and to be fair to them, I think they went on and won the Ireland that year so it was sickening from our perspective, all right. You know, to be so close, maybe to, to getting on a run that year, because to be fair, we had a very good minor team that year, um, and possibly maybe even get another crack at maybe a Kilkenny in, in an all final or an all semi-final again, because obviously they'd be probably pretty well in the, in the Leicester final. But look, it was just kind of a, I suppose, a collective thing maybe on the day that, look, we, we just didn't get it right. And, you know, that's not to lay any blame at, at the management's door for... For anything, but it's just look at it. It's just one of those things, unfortunately. Were sharp you know, a thing in that game at the time? No, 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 no. Look, at they weren't really. I suppose at that at that time, at that time in hurling, they weren't they weren't a massive thing really. And I suppose at minor level, we it wasn't something that we'd really we'd really spoken about. Kind of to be honest, we uh, it was just I suppose the time that was in it, game plans and stuff weren't weren't really massive at the time and structures and different things and set plays and puck outs and stuff but look at I suppose we, we probably maybe could have been a bit smarter at that stage alright but to be honest again I can't remember too much from the game it's that long ago but fortunately it was just one of those things that didn't work out for us on the day and it was definitely disappointing to see Galway going on winning the All-Ireland and you know we were definitely left with a feeling of what might have been you know That year probably was I do think it was a bit of a bit of a turning point because I don't think Wexford in minor or underage had beaten Dublin in in a lot of years, and you finally you got over him in in Wexford Park in a replay. I think I was talking, mentioning it to Paul when we had him on the podcast about yeah. that goal he scored to win it. it. Wasn't too bad if you if you remember that one. 
would you believe I actually don't remember it that well, but you know the way Paul is now, he, he wouldn't be long about reminding you and describing <laughs> it in de- <laughs> he, He'd be describing it in detail too, to be fair, you know. So, he, yeah, you'd, 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 often, you'd often hear that, all right, every now and again. But I suppose Dublin, kind of at the time, were, were probably coming as well. And between senior and minor, uh, they, they kind of had a run on us there for a, for a few years, kind of, you know, in the mid-2000s and probably late-2000s and that as well. So... From our point of view, it was nice to kind of get a stranglehold of that again at minor. And look, obviously, with the, the drawn game, we were probably actually quite lucky in the drawn game, to be honest. We were 10 or 11 points down at half time, And, you know, the lads, I, I, there was a few kind of, few strong words from Liam in the management at half time, which were well-deserved because we did, definitely weren't doing ourselves justice in the first half. And the lads really, really went really well in the second half and, and turned it around. And we got the replay back in Wexford Park, home crowd. I'm not quite sure who was playing after it, but I think there was two games on that day. I think there might have been a senior match in Hurler football as well. The home crowd were great that day. Thankfully, look, we were able to get, get, get over the line and Paul scored a great goal that day, obviously, as well. And, you know, as much as, as, much as it'll pain you to say it now and hear him, hear him from me saying it now that it was a great goal, you know. But I know, look, it was, it was really kind of the starting point for us that, Kind of gave us belief at an early age that if we, if we applied ourselves and, and done things right and had an attitude on the day and really really worked hard that we could possibly do something. Sky was the limit really for us if, if we if we applied ourselves really. And you would have played in one one Leinster final in under twenty one, was it? Two, two Leinster finals in twenty one, yeah. Two minor Leinster finals and two under twenty one Leinster finals, beaten in four of them. Two minors to Kilkenny and then two two twenty one Leinster finals to Dublin. In 19, we, we were playing them up in Parnell Park. Had a very good team that year. Probably the, the nucleus of the previous two years' minor teams, 08 and 09. Do you know, there would have been a lot of guys, myself, Paul Morris, Matthew O'Hannon, Andrew Shore, Shane Tompkins might have been there, thereabouts that time as well. Liam Oak, kind of D.O. Keith, those guys like would have been in and around that, that panel that time in 2010 and then 2011 again against Dublin and Wexford Park. Never got going that day. To be honest, in 2010, we were, we were going very well with about 10 or 15 minutes to go and, and couldn't get over the line. We, we were there, there about um, a couple of bad injuries, I think, towards the end of the game. Our captain, Owen Dial, got, uh, got a terrible bad hamstring injury and um, Andrew Shore then went down injured as well. Shore was a, a very important figure for us that year. Went down injured in, 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 with about 10 or 15 minutes to go as well. And Dublin really capitalised on, on, on them being down injured. And look at unfortunately we didn't get over the line. But in 2011, we just never got going that day. And to be fair to Dublin, they hit the ground running. You know, they probably beat us quite well towards the end then that day as well. They had a lot of people, they had a lot of guys that would have been playing senior at the time. Whereas we probably didn't have as many, you know, the likes of Liam Rush, Niall McMorrow, you know, those kind of guys, maybe even Peter Kelly and, and, and that. So look, they were at that time they were Dublin were one of the top teams in the country and, and have been kind of really ever since. And to be fair, they had a lot of the spine of their team, nearly even under 21, was nearly, they were very influential figures on their senior team. So it was just one of those days we just never got going. And, and to be fair, they punished us. It was a big win on that second year in 11, because not that you won Leinster, but you actually beat Kilkenny in the semi-final. And I think that I, before that, I think it had been Probably 0-2 since Wexford had beaten Kilkenny in any any underage grade, I think. Yeah, and look at I suppose again it was probably from from our perspective as as a group of players, um, Ben, it was probably a glimpse of again that look at if if you do things right and you pursue this and we were there thereabouts on, on our day and you know it was just again it was just kind of maybe consistency really over the years that kind of cost us at times. 
we beat Kilkenny in a, in a great game in Wexford Park in 2011 in the Leinster quarter final, I think it was, and we played Leach in the semi final. And you know, I just couldn't get the, couldn't get the consistency then for the final again. Um, and I think, I suppose, if you look back on, on maybe kind of later on in senior as well, we would have kind of maybe struggled with that a little bit. It was probably a glimpse for us that we really got this right and really kind of drove on with it that the big days were ahead of us and we could definitely, we could definitely produce performances, performances on any given day. 2013, would this been your first year as a starting Wexford goalkeeper, yeah? Yeah, made my debut in, in 2013. Liam had, Liam had came in in 12 and in 13 then myself and Nesty Breen were, were vying for number one position that year. We had a we had a fair old battle for it now to be fair. Tenesti's is top class goalkeeper. Um we were rotating the right the way through the Walsh Cup and National League. And look to be honest, I, I was I was lucky enough to get the nod to start the championship that year. I was actually touch and go there for a while because I'd broken two ribs in the club championship against Retinor in, in Belfield kind of early that April. And I think we were playing we were playing Dublin maybe early May. So it was really kind of a race against time really for me to to get right for it, but thankfully I did and that was kind of my debut season, breakthrough season. Liam, Liam gave me the chance like he did in like he did in 2008 at Minor and kind of took off from there for me really and I haven't, haven't really looked back I suppose. It's a game that a lot of people mention, now I mention it a lot myself, is the game we went to extra time with Clare in Turles. And it's actually spoken about, I think Liam Dunn was speaking about it on Brian Carroll's podcast, how when Mossy Waters went down injured and if yeah. you had a bit more experience that you just wouldn't have poked the ball out just looking for your retort on that now. <laughs> Man, yeah, look at it. I, 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 to be honest, lads, when, when, when Gary got in touch with me there last week or the week before about this, I kind of thought that this might come up all right at some point over the course of the podcast. So it was one of those things. It was a combination of, of a few things, really, that from thinking back on it, it was actually, it was funny because when it was mentioned to Paul, even on, on your podcast, that Paul had kind of said something similar that's you know, a bit more of extreme, probably on my part, and maybe that, maybe they were, maybe that was the case. But... Unless I'm very much mistaken, guys, you might be able to help me. You might be able to correct me on this. But that year, I think didn't didn't the rule come in that the a stoppage of play was left up to the referee, and and really up up to his discretion as whether he felt the injury was serious enough to stop play. Um, and I had actually got booked earlier that game, pulling down Conor McGrath in the twenty-one. Jeremy Corwin and his umpires had informed me that if I didn't put out the ball during that passage of play, that he was happy to continue to play. That I was actually going to get my second yellow card, and I was. I was going to be heading for an early shower, which obviously, to be honest, I kind of felt that wouldn't have been ideal really either. That, you know, Massey might have been in the hip on the ground and maybe me getting the marching orders as well. So maybe looking at the time, I should have maybe dug my heels in and just kind of said no, and that was the end of it. I wasn't hooking out the ball, but you look at it, I suppose, again, you know, there probably is an element of, like what Paul and Lean said, just, you know, a bit more experience kind of, you know, that you know, I wouldn't have hooked out the ball on, on the day and maybe if we, we might have... Might have got a famous win or whatever, you know. We might have been able to halt up, to, oh, halt up, play it. We could have got Massey treatment, obviously, because it was a horrific injury on his part, and then we could have brought a sub in maybe to, maybe to see it out on the day. Do you realise at the time how bad an injury it was? Well, I think to be honest, I, I think from looking back on it, I think it was it was fairly clear to everybody in the stand, and it's fairly clear to everybody on the field how serious of an injury it was. I think from from a supporter's point of view, and even from a player's point of view, on the uh, from looking at it or from looking at any injury of that ilk at the time, you know pretty much instantly, don't you, from a, whether you're a supporter or a player or an opposition player, that, you know, this is not this is not just your average run-of-the-mill bang for a lad that he might go down and need a bit of ice. Like, it was the circumstances that had happened, it was quite evident that it was quite serious, and I was surprised that 
Dermot Corwin and his and his officiating team didn't didn't kind of pull a halt to play at the time. Because even again, like you know, I suppose a similar enough case. Like we we heard the club game there over in Glynn at the weekend, and it was something similar. Even though it was at the far end of the field, fell on the team we were playing. You know, ended up twisting his knee on a similar fashion, and you just didn't even know from a distance that it's quite serious, and that it's not it's not just your average run of the mill bump or bruise or whatever. You know, that the lad can continue on. So. From that perspective, you would kind of know pretty much straight away, and I was kind of surprised that there, it wasn't stopped and there wasn't more attention kind of given to Massey, to be honest. Yeah, I, think, I mean, I think to be fair, if I remember correctly, you did stand with your arms out, basically showing the referee, Dermot Kerwin, that Massey was down, and he waved you to come on. Uh, yeah. Being yeah. on yellow card, if you wait another five seconds, you get sent off. And now... It's still, I, I don't know whether it was the right thing or not, but you, you, you're, you're losing the man there no matter what. Even if after the match, Dermot Kerwin and the GA go mad and rescind the red card or something because of the, serious, of the seriousness of the situation. Do you think he was just like, because it was the first year that rule came in, he was just trying to, you know, it's fresh in people's heads. If it's not a head injury, you just play on and you keep the game moving fast. Yeah, like, look, at, I think there's, look, at, I suppose... From Dermot Kerwin's perspective, I think, firstly, right, that, look, at obviously, you'd understand it from his point of view that, you know, sometimes when the GAA introduce a new rule, the scrutiny is very much under referee as to whether he's policed it to the letter of the law, really, at times. And that's, that's kind of the letter of the law is a phrase kind of thrown around in the GAA an awful lot lately that it's very much done by the book at times. And, and look, at that's obviously a different debate. But, like, the referee would inform me on a, on, on a regular basis that, when they're coming in to talk to you kind of pre-game to let you know what they expect of you that there's a, there's a guy particularly during championship time but there's a guy sitting in the stand kind of almost marking them like an exam as, to, as regards how they're doing so basically the guidelines that they would give you don't come outside the square wait for the whistle on the puck outs you know the general bits and pieces that the referee would be would be kind of marked on and graded on so from Dermot Kerwin's perspective obviously there was, would have been obviously someone in the stand that day probably marking him on it and it, he probably felt the pressure maybe that if he had got that wrong that maybe he might have suffered for it in the long run because obviously look at again Dermot Curran he's a top class referee he's refereed all our finals huge games you know provincial finals the whole lot so from his perspective and I suppose there would have been a grey a gray area there at the time lads you know of uncertainty as to whether it, was he going to be doing the right thing if he had stopped it or played on and it was kind of it was kind of strange from my perspective that you know, nobody really kind of asked me after the game what had kind of happened or what the story was with it. It was just kind of, it just kind of played out. And but in, like to be honest, the way the referees and umpires and that are mic'd up, they're in regular contact kind of throughout the course of the game. And they kind of had informed me that day that you know if I didn't poke out the ball, that I was going to be getting my marching orders for a second yellow card and possibly even might have threw the ball in on a twenty-one. And without your first choice goalkeeper and your fullback, that it would have been a sticky situation to try and deal with as well. So I kind of felt this. You know, being down to maybe 14 men and, and down Mossy, obviously, as well, that wouldn't have been an ideal scenario either. But, you know, look at it again, it's, it really comes back down to hindsight. If I'd have poked out those two balls and we'd have got two scores, there wouldn't really have been a word said about it and kind of we'd have got on with it. But, look, I suppose there's probably a few elements to it, lads, to be honest, that maybe a bit more experience that I should have dug in my heels maybe and made more of an issue of it and that. But, like, again, like what you said, Gary, the, the rescinded right card is not much good to us if we're if we're after getting based by Claire that day, like, do you know what I mean? And it's kind of, it's not really much good to us with all due respects to everybody at that point. So, look, maybe should have dug in my heels more, but also as well, I'd say there was an element of confusion with, with maybe Dermot Kerwin as well and, and the pressure that maybe he was feeling, you know, to feel that he really had to, really had to do the right thing because maybe there was, 
there might have been a fella from from Crow Park sitting in the stand grading him on it. And with the rule only been brought in that year, he, it was probably one thing that he they were going to look very very closely at. What is the exact rule for puckouts? Is it always after the whistle? It's, it's it's really down to the referee, to be honest. You know, sometimes referees would say to you, just if it's a score, give me a chance to write it down and 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 that. And if it's not, you can kind of almost work away. Now, look, I suppose again, given the time of the year. Referees are obviously, and given I suppose what's in kind of in the papers and what rule Cork Park kind of bring out that year, the referees are obviously scrutinised and and graded on how they police certain incidences, like you know. So obviously the puckouts and the quickness of those and different things would be what I would imagine is is, is one of the things getting graded. They inform me on a regular basis that it is anyway. So really, you kind of have to be mindful then that if it's a score. Give them that split second to write it down, but if it's if it's if it's that if the ball goes wide or whatever, off off you go and you can you can kind of work away as, as normal then really. But I suppose again, it really comes down to the referee and what their kind of preference is on it and really the time of year too. Speaking of a fella in the stand marking the referee, is there really a fella in the stand behind the goals dictating to you where to put the ball? It was highlighted, I think, last year at at a stage or eight that we had a fella down behind the goal with us, but look at I don't it's not it's not it's not down to tell me solely where to put the ball or it's more kind of a general kind of a thing really to get instructions maybe in that little bit quicker that we'd feed the instructions from the sideline from the management down to down to our man behind the goal and he'd give the instruction to me to get it out to maybe Jip or maybe to get it out to Simon Donahue or Damien Reck or whoever might be in the full back line at the time and you know we found it to be quite useful with with getting the message out to lads quickly or whatever, but also as we look at, it, I suppose it can be it can be useful for a lot of things really. But it's not just a general kind of Davies on the other end of a mic or someone up in the stand at the other end of a mic and saying puck it left, puck it right, or whatever the case is. It's more of a general kind of a I suppose assistance to particularly the backs and and myself really and, and Kevin and and that really I would say is 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 kind of the whole idea of it really. Does he have to change ends at halftime? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> He follows me the whole game, anyway. So does he, yeah, does he, he need two it. tickets for the, for Cup Park? Like, not two separate No, no. There's the one fella does the whole thing, and to be fair, I'm not quite sure how it works. It's obviously different now in Richard Park in the league game. You could, you would kind of, you'd have the run of the place or whatever. There, all right, but I'm not sure, quite sure how to manage it in Cup Park. Now, and to be honest, I'm not going to ask him too many questions about it either. Let's tell you the truth. <laughs> uh, no, that's it started out themselves. It started out, you know, you know, that's that's tough for me to be getting involved with. It was it was analysed by Derek McGrath in the Sunday game and. It was all over Joe that either. Time, I don't understand so. how what why there's people giving out about it. Like it makes ah, no look, sense. Well, ah, like, look, I think I think there's there's an element of it hasn't been done before and maybe it's an easy it's an easy thing to to kind of jump on that maybe sometimes in the GA that if you do if you do something that hasn't been done before or you want to do things a certain way, it can be kind of frowned upon or it's kind of up for debate, really a heavy debate at times. So Look, I suppose from our perspective, it feels as though from our setup, it feels it's a massive help to us, particularly. And it's not just only puckouts; it's it's more of a general kind of a getting messages out to the lads. Because obviously, look at lads, you know yourselves, the way the game has gone, you have split seconds kind of to make decisions and split seconds to get the message across. And you know, we we would have felt that it's kind of it's more beneficial to kind of and quicker to get the message out, maybe to to Jippo, maybe to tell him to swap with whoever or pick up this ladder. This is what they're trying to do. And this is what we're going to do with counteracting or whatever. You know yourselves. Like, and is there ever, like, you hear, say, you're in Crow Park and he's, say, has a ticket for the match and he's shouting in instructions. There wasn't, like, a Tipperary fella behind him trying to show over him or anything. 
No, it actually there, there wasn't. There wasn't. There actually wasn't in Cole Park. But would you believe there was actually we played Galway in the championship in 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 Salt Hill this year, and there was an there was I'm not sure how how this happened, but there was actually two Galway supporters that that followed our our particular fella in both halves up to the other end of the board. Followed him around the goal, behind the goal in both halves and was constantly in his ear barking orders at me and trying to distract the two of us and trying to confuse messages and trying to give me mixed messages. You know, oh, to tell you the truth, it was, kind of, it was kind of comical when you look back at it, really, because I think your man had a few jars or whatever in him or maybe he came in or whatever, but... It wasn't the plan from Galway to disrupt this fella, no? Ah, no, I, look, I don't, I don't think so. I don't, I look, I, the honest answer is I don't know. I, I doubt it, to be honest. I, I don't think that... I don't think the Galway lads would, would don't think it's a, it was a tactic on the day or anything from their perspective. I just think it was a kind of a thing where where it just kind of two Galway fans they're now kind of took a notion maybe on the day and probably maybe they'd had a few maybe they'd had a few jabs. I don't know maybe they hadn't. But from what I can gather, they were actually they were actually there in the earlier in the year in, in, the, in the league game in the quarter final as well. So maybe maybe they obviously turned out on the day and said that they were they were going for round two like you know. <laughs> And, and just in case they're listening or Galway are listening, it didn't work anyway. Like, <laughs> I was reluctant, to be honest. It was a weird kind of a, a scenario, really, to be put in. Like, you know, but um, I know, look, we, we, we kind of got on with it and made the best of it. Look at it. And, and thankfully, on the day, particularly on the championship day, we, we managed to get out with a reasonably positive result. And it kind of kicked us on for the year, you know, to go to Salt Hill and get a draw. Um, it was a very much an ebb and flow game. Hail Force win that day. It was very much a game of two halves, really. Um, and look at I suppose if you'd have kind of said that to us kind of I suppose before your first two games last year that you'd, you'd get a draw against Dublin and, and Galway and still have it in your own hands you probably would have taken that to be fair you know yeah. and this fella is he is he up on a, a bit of a height so he can see more and give or is he simply relaying a message from Davy say Ah, sure. Look at I suppose it's it's it kind of depends really on the day what way what what his situation is and and what kind of I suppose space he has down around behind the goal and that look I suppose it's not uh, the one thing I, I, I'd be kind of stressing I suppose it's not like he's not constantly talking or he's not constantly giving messages or anything it's just the very it's the very odd time that if there's a message needs to come in from the line the likes of maybe Keith or, or Sersha are off you know up the other end of the field or can't quite get to the lads as quick as possible that you know the message filters through maybe to, to us and turn through a different way and we get the message across to the lads and we, we try and carry out then the, the instruction as best we can. He's, he's not deciding every single poke out for you, like? <laughs> no, 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 no. Look, at I, I don't think it, it can't, it couldn't be that that scripted or anything. Like, you know, it's not, unfortunately, hurling is still a game of, in, it, it's, it's a game of, very much a game of instinct. So you can't really kind of dictate that in that kind of a scenario, poke it left and poke it right with every poke out. Now, obviously, look, at it, yeah. there's an area that the lads feel from the line that we feel we're getting a bit of joy. Obviously, the message will filter in, but it's it's only kind of the very odd message that we're given, kind of really from the line. It's it's very uh, much a general thing, and it's, it's they're kind of very few and far between, really. Like as as a former goalkeeper, has Davy been able to give you any particular insights himself into being playing the position of a goalkeeper? Obviously, you know he would he would pass on the the kind of the very odd bit of, of advice or whatever. All right, and it's great to be able to to be able to pick that advice up and to be able to get it. Um, and try and implement it then in your training sessions or, or going forward or whatever. Because to be fair to him, look at he was he was he was a top class goalkeeper in his day. You know, so it's great to be able to have that. But to be fair as well, I suppose 
he's not really he's not constantly on TL he's not constantly kind of telling you what you should be doing or, or whatever either because I suppose from his perspective he doesn't necessarily really have time either to, to solely focus on on the goalkeepers he's, he's very much a hands-on manager and he does a lot of the training and he's in the middle of everything himself so it would be very difficult from his perspective to be involved with the goalkeepers and the outfield players because it's, it's split the training is very much split now whereas the outfield lads will be off the other end of the field and the goalkeepers will be off working themselves so Look, if, if, if he has the odd nugget and the odd card of advice that he feels would benefit you, um, you know, to make improvements here or there, he, he, he definitely would. He would he'd give you advice on it, and it's great to be able to have that, you know, to be fair. Great to be able to have it. Is Mags Darcy the goalkeeper coach? No, Mags is, Mags is not the goalkeeping coach. Fellow from, fellow from Clare, originally from Clare, but living in Galway now, Noel Constantly is the goalkeeping coach mm. and has been since 2018. Davey brought him in in 2018. PJ Ryan had been the. The Kilkenny goalkeeper, former Kilkenny goalkeeper, had been there in 17. PJ, through work commitments, then couldn't commit from 18. And Davey brought in Noel then. And Noel has been kind of there with us ever since. But Mags is kind of more of a general kind of a role, really, within the setup. She's kind of stuck into training sessions with the outfield players. She's very much, she very much manages the, I suppose, the statistics on match days and fitness results and various different stuff like she, she's very very busy behind the scenes with a, with a lot of different things and she's very very good at what she does and look at obviously she would she would have done the ad session kind of with us on various nights as that and that as well so like Mags is like obviously vast vast experience in terms of all her medals and teams that she would have played in and look at she she had so much to her set up that it's, it's great to be able to have her there very much kind of working way behind the scenes and in a coaching role Look at again, she provides the odd nugget of, of gold here as well if she feels that there's something that, that she has seen on the on the video analysis side of things or on the statistics that she feels as though there can be improvements made here, there, or wherever, you know, she'll 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 give you the odd nugget as well, which is it's great to be able to have that from her perspective as well. What would be the uh, craziest drill, goalkeeping drill you've done? I suppose look at there's there's nothing really too crazy, really, to be honest with you lads. It's it's um it's just the general kind of stuff, really. The odd bit of shot stopping and the odd bit of handling and bits and pieces like that. It's there's nothing really, there's nothing crazy like hockey pads written been brought into training written like that now. Or I suppose the way the goalkeeping thing is gone now at the moment, like I mentioned earlier, you kind of have to be able to do a bit of everything now at the moment. So you're trying to cover all bases really in a training session. Though you're trying to work on your handling. You're obviously trying to work on your puckouts because they're such a huge important part of our game. You're trying to work on obviously your shot stop and you're trying to work on your general hurling as well because obviously play a bit of a role there where you come off your line to assist the lads at times if they're back into a corner and they're under pressure with, with maybe a Kilkenny forward or a Galway forward or a Dublin forward or whatever the case is. So it's, it's kind of, it's very much adopting the Manuel Neuer kind of, uh, I suppose, element of a sweeper keeper maybe. You know, that's very much coming into play. And if you look at all the goalkeepers across the country, see when he's scored from play in the championship. Owen Murphy hurls out the field for his club. He's a top-class goalkeeper as well, but top-class hurler and could very much kind of play that role as well where he wouldn't be a stranger to being outside the 21 or giving his backs assistance or, or whatever if, if they were under pressure. So there was nothing out in Portugal? Right? <laughs> Would you know, I, uh, I, was kind of, I was kind of wondering actually, I was kind of wondering actually, had, had, had that where you were leading me with this <laughs> When you'd ask the question, tell you the truth. Um, but I, I said it, I said it, I said it. I know, look, there wasn't anything crazy that day. It was just kind of a, a run of the mill kind of a thing that was a general kind of a handling drill that I was doing. And 
took me off the ball for that split second and suffered for it, really. Missed the championship match in 2017, I think it was that year. Broken finger? No, I, well, I, the finger was broken, but what actually happened was, and I'm sure anybody that plays the game of Hurling will be aware that, you know, when you're going to catch the ball at times, it can be susceptible to flicking off the top of your finger and can be quite sore at times. What actually happened was, put me eye off it for a split second, the ball flicked off the top of my finger, and it actually split um, across the top knuckle on, on the underneath side of my finger. And I had to go away straight away into into the local town in Portugal and get it stitched up or whatever. And there was no problem. It was healing quite well while we were out there. And even when we came back and I'd finished the antibiotics or whatever, and then I, it, it actually got an infection then when I went back training. I did it care doc one Sunday afternoon because I literally... My finger had gone so big and so red that I literally couldn't I couldn't cope with the pain of it anymore. And I just went into went into the care doc. He prescribed me a, a kind of a dose of, of antibiotics to take. By the Tuesday or by the Wednesday morning, the antibiotics hadn't hadn't done anything at all, and it actually kind of got worse. And on the Tuesday evening, I went into my own GP, and he had a look at. He gave me a dose of painkillers again. He said, "Look, get them into you. You'll be you'll be as right as rain." Um, or whatever. Now we were playing. We were actually playing Leash in the first round of the championship the following Sunday. Took the painkillers Tuesday night, all kind of day Wednesday, and then on the, the Thursday evening, same thing again. It was getting worse. I hadn't helped at all. So went to day and eat in, and I was brought in kind of through the back door and and each time get a bit of a kind of a hurry on the thing because it was obviously quite urgent at that stage. And the doctor took one look at it and he said, "Look, you make it out of here. You may go to Vincent's." ASAP. So at that late stage and on Thursday night, we just thought myself and the kind of family decided I'd go up on the Friday morning. I was kept in on the Friday morning then in Vincent's and didn't get out of it until the Monday evening. Missed the championship match against Leash that year with the lads. The doctor or the nurse had said to me, um, leaving Vincent's on the Monday evening, I think I got 40 odd, 45 odd drips and over the course of the few days that I was in there. So that, that was kind of the kind of short how severe I suppose the injury was at the time. And how severe the finger kind of was. Like the, I think the, the doctor, the specialist, had said that, you know, I was I was probably very lucky that we weren't kind of having a conversation maybe about kind of getting rid of the finger altogether. Really, it was it was kind of at that stage, like you know, to be honest. And I was probably very lucky in hindsight because there was actually a fella beside me in in, in the ward for the few days, and I think that he had actually he was actually going in for an operation, his final op- salvage operation, as I was leaving on the Monday, maybe to try and save his hand, um, with an infection. So. You know that was kind of that was kind of the extremity as as to what the situation was. It obviously wasn't quite as extreme as the fellow beside me in the ward, but it was. You know the kind of specialist had said that we were we were probably about forty eight hours, maybe or, or seventy two hours away from having a conversation, maybe about getting rid of the finger altogether, like. Oh my God. You know, which wouldn't have been wouldn't have been ideal, kind of for the hurling career long term, like you know. No, probably not. <laughs> when I was in there, in the panel for that short one or two months. I, I used to travel with PJ Nolan, who mm. is the most punctual man I've ever met in my life. Yeah, PJ, good man. Sometimes there was one or two lads that would be at training before PJ, and you were one of them. Are you always extremely punctual? Ah, look, I, I wouldn't say it was. It's it's probably, I think it's just where the GA has gone, kind of really, at the moment, lads. That You know, and obviously it's it's a huge topic of debate at the moment, the amount of hours that GAA players are given to their to their intercounty career and what you would see quite regularly with our lads at the moment that and I suppose that would have been this kind of starting time of that Gary when you know we would have been training in Patrick's Park at the time and you know lads would be kind of rocking up training if you were training at half seven lads were rocking up at the kind of very last half six kind of part of seven and you know I suppose 
behind the scenes in the inter-county dressing room, there's a lot goes on between lads getting treated maybe for niggles or lads getting strapped for injuries before training. And, you know, maybe particularly in the summer months, lads want to get out and hit a few balls kind of before training and maybe work on stuff that they need to work on. Dio Keefe is, 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 is a top-class guy for working on his shooting, particularly before training. And obviously it stands to him. You know, we'd have lads working on various things, the forwards working on their shooting, the backs working on various stuff. And, you know, you nearly do as much kind of specialised training before training even starts, really, than, than you might get in an actual training session because obviously the training sessions, I suppose, if you were to really kind of analyse them, they're probably very general, maybe to a point where, you know, a cornerback mightn't get the exact specific stuff maybe that he needs to work on. So that's kind of where that kind of might have started, that, you know, it's kind of get in training early and if you need to, if you need to work on stuff before training, get that done. If you need strapping or you need physio or you need to be treated for an injury, get in early and get it done and, you know, give yourself the best opportunity to, to, to get maybe most of the training sessions that you possibly can because obviously it's not ideal from a management perspective or even your own perspective as a player. Like the olden days when training starts and all of a sudden you're rocking off into the physio and, you know, and you're missing maybe 20, 30 minutes of a training session. Whereas now, get there early like and, and guess what you need to done, get done, get it done and, get on with the training session and it's like even to be fair to our lads our lads are very good at the moment that if we were training at half seven the very last lad would probably walk in the door around 25 past half six like you know there's a lot of us kind of are there beforehand before lockdown and stuff over the last few years I would have travelled with with kind of with, with Lee like Lee Chin um, and we'd look we'd always kind of leave the Maldron there um, Maldron Hotel and Mike's are around 10 to 6 6 o'clock and we'd be up in Ferns then for about 20 past six or that there's even lads there coming from Dublin that would be there before us um, I'm not sure what the, what time Dio Kiefer is training at, but you know he's always there before us anyway, and he like we were there kind of about twenty past six. So and some of the guys are there earlier again. So I think it's just kind of it's where the GA is going really, and where the kind of levels of professionalism are are going really with it at the moment. And obviously it's 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 a huge topic of debate at the moment. Michael Dignan has been has been talking quite a bit about it recently, and look at I'm sure a lot of people are. Um, but look, it's it's just the way it's going. Just the way it's going. It's serious dedication, like uh, especially from lads traveling from distances to get to training. Ah, uh, yeah. Like look, like look at. I suppose we like we've a lot of lads probably in Dublin. I suppose in, in kind of at certain stages in the year, particularly national league time when you know lads are in college and lads are up the country working and stuff. And it's a huge commitment from from the lads. To be fair, like you hear the odd story from the lads from talking to them that. You know, particularly in the pre-season training where obviously they're a bit longer maybe than, than at certain stages in the year where, you know, between by the time they get showered and by the time they get kind of fed and stuff after training, they're kind of getting on the road maybe at half ten, quarter to eleven and not kind of back maybe in Dublin maybe till twelve or after us and going to work the next morning. It's not too bad for the college lads. The college lads can stay in the bed if they like, but, you know, from the lads, particularly the likes of me, Matthew and Dio and, Mogi and the and Jack on the lads that are working. It's, it's it's a massive commitment to be able to give to be able to give from them to be fair to them and it would it would um it would uh, it test you at certain stages in the year, all right, to be fair, I would imagine. But and look to be fair to the lads, give a huge commitment there, but also as well I would say that if you were if you were to ask the lads, it's probably one of the very few setups that you could you could do it with because because of the crack that they'd have on the way down in the cars and because of just the general crack that our dressing room would provide, to be honest with you, lads, it's 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 a sight it's a sight to behold really at times the you know the lads we we really do enjoy each other's company and we all get on so well. I know it's been well documented kind of over the last while that the team bond and stuff that we would have, but really you'd have to you'd have to really kind of be there to believe it at times and 
Do you know, I suppose when you're even from my own perspective, when you're when you're driving up the driveway, that long driveway, I'm sure you're aware of it, heading up to the front centre of excellence now when the when the rain and the wind is baiting off the window and the roof of the car and you're there standing there saying, Jesus, the lads can definitely change your mood and your form at times all right. And and, and you throw into the fact then as well, Dave is a huge motivator as well. It's great. Now you you did have the job of being the DJ and you got fired. That was that was highly controversial in our setup at the time. Um, ben, to be honest, and even to, even to this day, I'm still I'm still trying to get my position back. To be honest, um, I, I feel as though I was shafted. To tell you the truth, who has now? Shane Wright has it now. He he needs to book up on it. To tell you the truth, now he's he's he's, <laughs> he's let his he's let his standards slip now. To be honest, I'm only waiting for my opportunity to get back in there. Now, to be honest, and who do you think shafted you now specifically? Kind of a lot of the players, to be honest, kind of shafted me, and I'd say. Some of the management kind of had had their had their say on it too, and I'd say it was more of a more of a general kind of a shaft than really less. To be honest, I kind of felt a little bit hard done by. To be honest, very difficult to be able to please everybody, I suppose, isn't it? So, so what what, what are we talking about now with chain wreck? There's a lot of general stuff in it. Just to give you an insight as regards what what you're dealing with here with this now is, you'd have Liam Ryan in one corner who is Luke Kelly before <laughs> training, Raglan Road, all this kind of stuff, and then you'd have. The likes of Paul Morris then who likes his bit of likes his bit of dance music and you know you have everybody then in between who who like a bit of everything and stuff. So they're a tough crowd to please now. Fair and I struggled with it for a long time. Last minute position, but to be fair to Shiner, he's trying his best now, all right. He's he's probably doing a little bit better than I was at the time, but the lads are a tough crowd to please now. How did they go about getting ready you now? Was there an an intervention? <laughs> sit sit you down. Um, well, <laughs> I think I think it was it wasn't I think it might have went to a vote maybe a comprehensive enough vote I think maybe one night in the dressing room <laughs> before we went out training and that was kind of the end of it that was that was about eighteen months two years ago. that was the end of it then that was the end of my time on the music and was there a particular song that the lads just said no that did you and what you see the, the the thing the thing that you need to remember here is that. Like we, we would have had a thing where lads would have had to send me the music for me to put on the playlist. And to be fair to Matthew O'Hanlon, Matthew was the only one that was coming forward with, with songs. Now, obviously, I think there's a hidden message in that. Just, I got the brunt of poor taste of music, really, like, to be honest. You're saying, to be fair to Matthew O'Hanlon, but you're also blaming him for you getting shunted. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of taking a, a kind of a backwards kind of a jab at Matthew there that I'm blaming him. His poor taste in music got me shafted, to be honest with you. But, you know, he, in fairness to him, he was the only one coming forward with songs, kind of all those songs that really that I, I think got me, got me, got me thrown, <laughs> off the, thrown off the music, to tell you the truth. Still a sore one, I can, I can see. I can hear it in your voice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm still, I look at it, there's still, there's still, a, still a lot of bitterness there with it, lads, to be honest. And, be often throwing Shane Wright the odd dirty look in, in the dressing room kind of as well over it's like Shiner played a Shiner played a part in it as well and the lad maybe maybe the lads were driving at me over another thing maybe they just saw their opportunity to to get rid of me over the music maybe they're, maybe they're trying to drop me a hint I don't know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> obviously puckouts are probably the biggest thing in the game really how long would you spend as a, as a team say going through these particular puckouts puckout styles and formations and all that. The way the game's going, I suppose, with it's been it's very much gone possession based over the last over the last number of years. And the general kind of idea would be to look at we have possession from a puck out. Why not give ourselves every advantage and the best possible opportunity to retain it? We do do quite a bit of work on it. Davy has a has a, a kind of a, a particular training drill. He runs through different scenarios in, in a training session where 
he'd obviously go through the puckouts, he'd go through different kind of formations for the forwards. It's not like it's 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 kind of it's mostly done kind of the week of games and stuff, to be honest with you lads. Um particularly focused on, on, on at that stage. But that's kind of when mostly we get the bulk of the work done on him. Now obviously look at we would have had kind of training sessions in, in Portugal to to go through again, to kind of go through puckouts and shapes and and various different things. It's the way the game is going really at the moment and you know, we're we're definitely not the only team that plays different shapes and different formations and has different tactics around puckouts and different different styles and stuff. So it's it's very much it's very much getting to a very technical, very kind of a, a tactical kind of a, a game as well as as well as it being a game of instinct and a game of kind of off the cuff really. The off the cuff kind of thing is it's not really in the game as much as it was. Now having said that, that's not I'm not saying that in a negative way. I'm not trying to take from from the way the game is going, I think the game is hugely exciting at the moment. And I think you only have to look at the way the championships have been over the last number of years. Given the way the game is going, it's 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 getting hugely technical and hugely tactical, and becoming it's becoming very exciting, I suppose. Given those at the moment, so look at it. I suppose given the fact that puckouts are such a huge important part of our game with every team at the moment, and figures and stats and stuff now, percentage reten- retention on puckouts and. Percentage loss on puckouts and percentage kind of one on opposition puckouts and that it's it's becoming a huge important part of the game and you know obviously sure it's it's no different than any aspect of the game it's no different than shooting and defenders tackling and stuff it's you have to work on it and that's that's it like you know would you ever try like when you see things working with Wexford and then you go back to your own club Glenbarrentown would you ever try to try to use some of the stuff that you're you're using with Wexford with the club. Or does it just not work when it's a when it's a different style of team? Ah, like look, I I I think this. I to be honest, the way my club team are at the moment, we're actually quite similar to Wexford, really, in the type of hurlers that we have. Um, particularly this year, um, we have a lot of kind of fast, kind of mobile guys that are well able to hurl. So, look, at obviously you could see a kind of an argument to bring that back to the club and bring back the experience and and what and then the kind of knowledge that you'd have on us. Back to the club, all right. But like we have, we have Jason Ryan over us this year, former Wexford football manager, and who is is a top class coach and who has his own ideas on it as well. And we would have kind of discussed all that as well. So to be honest, to be able to get Jason's experience on it and to be able to get Jason's ideas, we've kind of we've kind of combined the two and kind of brought brought everything together and and, and kind of I suppose as well. I would have had experience with WIT and kind of people that would have been over those teams over the years and. You kind of take little little bits from kind of all the teams you're involved in, lads, over the years, really, and kind of kind of bring it to bring it done and with a presentation and kind of say to the lads that look at can we try this or what do you think of this and look at it's obviously down to the management at the end of the day it's their decision but I think our management with the club at the moment are hugely approachable they're hugely open to trying stuff and they're very much kind of a modern management in a sense that and they understand the group of players that we have that you can't be lamping puckouts down on top a kind of a small kind of a, a nifty wing forward like who kind of gives you other other strengths and look at maybe being under a high ball is probably not a strength do you know what I mean so you kind of take little nuggets from, from everywhere you've been and, and kind of delve into your experience I suppose I'm I'm kind of I'm getting on now probably in, in my career so you know you would have picked up bits and pieces over, over the years but being involved with different teams and you just try and try and put a, a spin on it then to kind of suit which, whichever team you're involved in whether that be club, county, or college, really, like you know. And do you see yourself going on for many more years with inter-county? Um, ah, look, what I suppose I'm, I'm 
just gone 29 there now in May and I'm I'm at a stage where I'm not really putting a figure on a number on it Ben um, to be honest with you I'm not saying I'm going to retire in two or three years time or I'm going to pack it in in two years time or whatever I suppose it's it's really kind of up to personal circumstances really and like obviously work dictates it kind of family life dictates it whether the body will allow you to do it or whether you know you've, you've just kind of said to yourself no I just I, I've I've kind of had enough now and I've, I've served my time and it's time to kind of for somebody else to step in now and, and carry on the mantle and, and carry on the, the tradition and, and, and the extra jersey you now and, and do you know what I mean? So it's, it's um, to be honest, the honest answer is I don't know. I haven't, I haven't, put, a, I haven't put a year on it or a, a date or a, an age on it to tell you. I'm just going to keep going as long as I can and to be honest with you, there's such a there's such a variance in age in our setup, and to be honest, the vast majority of lads are mid twenties and younger. Might sound a bit strange, but the lads kind of keep you young too in a way that the crack that you'd have with them, it'd make you want to go train and that bit more. And a lot of us spend a lot of time together off the field and stuff as well. So keep going as long as I can. And I suppose it's it's probably it's great to be though at, at this stage in your career to be at the kind of the the kind of top end of it now, competing for Leinster's and All-Irelands and being, being probably getting the respect maybe that we feel we would have deserved after, after a long number of years, probably in the doldrums. As long as, as long as I can keep going, I'm going to keep going and look at, please God, there'll be a few years left of me yet. Yeah, ben, you, you asked the question as if, he, as if he was a 35-year-old. He's only 29. <laughs> are, you, are, you, are you hitting at something, Ben? <laughs> Looking after his own club, man, is he? Yeah, <laughs> I I coach James Lawler under twelves, you know. So <laughs> that be that'll be almost as if I was playing in the goal. He was playing the goal, you know. Right. Okay. Fair enough. So fair enough. So fair enough. So <laughs> ah, but look at I, I suppose it's look at given the way the intercounty thing is gone now at the moment, lads, and the, the commitment levels that are demanded on lads, and oh, well, look at demanded is probably the wrong word to be fair because to be honest with you. There's not an intercounty hurler or a footballer across the country that I don't know of that doesn't want to do what we're doing at the moment. And it's just purely down to being the best player that they can be, having such good friends in panels and having such good crack along the way and kind of creating a journey and a life experience for yourself. That it's just it's, it's a great journey to be a part of, to be honest. And the 31 hours that Michael Dignan had kind of mentioned in, kind of in, the, in the interviews he's done, it's great for us to be able to to be able to do that and to be able to do what we're able to do because we're obviously looking for people all over the country for whatever reason are not able to do it and we're very much in a privileged position to be able to do it and it's something that we enjoy. At the end of the day, we all enjoy hurling. We all love playing the game. From that perspective, it's great. But I suppose the demands that, that are put on inter-county hurlers at the moment very much dictate as to whether lads can kind of go into their kind of early to mid-30s, I suppose, at the minute. You see a lot of retirements kind of coming now, late 20s, early 30s, kind of, if you're lucky, even getting into early 30s now at the moment, but mostly down to kind of family life and work, really, where lads kind of have to kind of step away from it or whatever. But again, it, it just comes down to personal circumstance, really, I suppose. Do you think, like, Michael Dyke, like, I listen, listen to Michael Dyke and saying, oh, the demands are too much. But is it, in one way, like, we'll ask the players, is this what you want? Like, most players... Imagine you're said you're over an hour early for training. Like you want to train because you love it and to be the best. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, like look at I. I think to be honest, I I I, I listen to. Be, I haven't listened to a whole lot of of the debate really at the moment around the whole the fixtures and the COVID the thing and and everybody seems to be anti GAA and anti GPA and all at the moment and. There's just a huge, a huge debate going on with a lot of things at the minute. And I did actually happen to listen to Michael Dignan's kind of Michael Dignan's interview at that time, and like he was saying about the 31 hours. But again, like 
there's not a player around the country that I don't know doesn't want to do what we're doing. Like, like it's the type of thing where it's a pretty straightforward decision, lads. Like, if you don't want to do it, you just kind of step aside and you let the next fella in and you kind of go away and you get on with your life. You kind of head off traveling or you kind of go away and you explore different different things in your life. Like, do you know what I mean? So, but then again, like, it's, 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 a, it's kind of a, it's a strange debate really at the moment, like, to be honest, because... I understand the way the club v county thing is 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 kind of been talked about, but yet at the same time the inter county game is so important. Really, it kind of seems as though they're kind of using it as a stick to beat everybody with, like, and it's probably a bit harsh really at the moment. But look again, it's a wide debate. Really, there's a lot of there's a lot of elements to it, and the three of us are not really going to start it out or kind of kind of solve the issue really now. But again, like, look at it, it comes down to like what you said, Ben. Intercounty players, regardless of what level you're playing at, we want to do it for a lot of reasons. We want to do it because we enjoy the game and we want to be the best we can be. But also the friendships and the crack you have with lads and, and, and the kind of journey that I suppose you create along the way and the memories you create. And I suppose it's, it's a life experience, really, to be honest. Like, and I suppose it is for me. Anyway, you can make such good friends, be a part of such experience and... It's um, it's great. To be honest, I wouldn't change it for the world. Tell you the truth, I wouldn't. I can't understand Michael Dagnan's point. From a, I know you're saying that you wouldn't change it for the world, and you you don't know anyone who would. But there's a lot of people as well that you know they might be under pressure from their family, whether it's their partner or maybe they have a child, maybe they have a career that they're trying to get ahead in, but you know they just can't because they have to leave work early out on a, two or three times a week, or they they need to go away at the weekend, or they don't get weekends off to you know get ahead on stuff. So I mean, it is a tough one. It is a tough one because most lads there would give, they will give everything to be there. It's kind of how bad do you want it, and they will make the sacrifices. Gary, you're spot on with all of that. Like, there's, look at, there's so many kind of contributing factors to all this. Like, I think in the modern day and age, like with so many other things kind of going on in people's lives, like it's there's so many other kind of not not necessarily distractions. That's probably the wrong word to use, but you you know what I'm getting at. Like you know, lads might have a, a young family at home. They might be planning on getting married at certain stages, building a house. You know, want to get ahead in a career, family life. Might be part of a family that cares for a, a sick family member. Whatever the case is, like look at there's there's so many different contributing factors that you could you could list a, an endless kind of a list of them here. But probably easy for me to say what I, what I kind of said on it. That given the fact that I suppose I'm very lucky in a way that kind of able to kind of really commit to it I'm, I'm very lucky with work work are very flexible with me they're very very good to me as regards allowing me to take time off and giving me time and, and being very patient with the likes of that my family at home my girlfriend and that as well in the same boat very very patient very I suppose accommodating very kind of understanding at times and that as well and I suppose I'm one of the, I'm, I'm very lucky that way in a sense that I have that but look at obviously there is other lads that have different different things to juggle, whether it's whether it's a small family, whether higher yeah. up in work maybe than I might be at this stage in my career or whatever. But then again, you throw into the, the, the melting pot then as well, the whole fixtures thing at the moment and, and I suppose the club players and stuff as well and, and the kind of the pressure and the stuff that that's putting on the GA. But look, it, it is what it is, I suppose, at the moment and we just have to try and make the best of it really. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there isn't an easy fix to it. and I just It's probably just important for the GA to keep supporting the inter-county players where they can knowing that the pressures that they're under and the fact that the inter-county players that everybody goes to see in Crow Park at the end of the day 
It's where it's what the. Ah, yeah, yeah. Like looking at it, I, 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 I'd agree with that to a point, but also as well from my perspective, and given the fact that obviously I'm still playing club, like there's a kind of a saying, I suppose, going around that you start with your club and kind of finish with your club to a point. Do you know what I mean? So it's such a, a complex debate at the moment, and there's so many arguments to be made. Yes, the intercounty game is a huge revenue generator, and it's a huge kind of a factor for the GA in terms of splitting funds back to grassroots and pulling in television rights and look at there's, there's there's various elements to it and that but look at I suppose as well to be fair to the GA they, they won't obviously forget about the club side of things and I think it's kind of the debate at the moment is probably a little bit unfair on the GA as regards to the county it was the podcast here where you were doing with Darren Stamp and I think Ben you had said that it was probably highly unlikely that we were going to get any kind of GA action and here we are probably maybe six weeks to two months later where club championship kicking off. We have fixtures drawn for inter-county games. We've been given dates. I think they've done very well considering that they're probably down maybe a third of the year. Probably down maybe the majority of the summer really if you give kind of April, May and even most of June to the COVID thing. So like really I, I don't understand kind of really what people want like to be honest. Like it, we're getting everything now and we're very, very lucky to be able to still have an inter-county game and a club game going forward for this year and I think it's a bit, a little bit unfair on the GA. There's obviously more stuff going on in the world, more important stuff going on in the world at the moment. We're kind of arguing over a few fixtures and, and, and that type of thing. Look, look, let's 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 get on with it. Let's make the most of what we have it and let's be thankful that we have it really, you know. In the semi-final last year, now Grilly now. Yeah, in the semi-final, comes, I, was, I was waiting for this as well. <laughs> <laughs> in the semi-final last year, yeah. it was said that Wexford kind of went old school for the last 15 minutes and that's why we lost because we were going long and not sticking to the running game and the short game that we were playing. You were obviously in the goal, taking the puckouts. Did the instructions change or what happened in those last 15 minutes? There's a, there's a, there's a lot to this as well, I suppose, really. The, the big thing with it is that, yes, people are right, that we did go away from what, what had got us to that point with 15 minutes to go, where we were probably 10, 15 minutes to go, we were probably in the driving seat in the Ireland semi-final and put ourselves in a, in a great position to get to an Ireland final. The book ultimately starts with me because I'm ultimately the one taking the book outs and there's probably the vast majority of the responsibility probably falls on my shoulders with it. It was the type of thing where I probably should have grabbed a hold of the thing maybe at a certain stage and said, no, look at lads, we need to we need to maybe persist with this or maybe kind of maybe risk falling out with a couple of lads, kind of telling them to get into positions and maybe kind of, you know, just really kind of emphasise the lads that we need to stick with this to, to kind of get us over the line. Look, it didn't happen. I didn't do that. And as a kind of a team, I suppose, we, we suffered for it. Now, look, we, we've analysed it. We've went back over it. We very much put it down to a kind of a team a team thing and kind of said that, look, all over the field, we had kind of went away from it. But ultimately, I suppose, like, look, I analysed my game to the, to the extremes at times and I've kind of looked back on it a lot since and, I kind of would have took, I suppose in my own opinion, I would have took an awful lot of responsibility kind of for that particular kind of thing. And But look at it again, we learn from it. I learn from it and move on. And I suppose we're just kind of hopeful now that we can kind of put ourselves in a position in, in the next few years where we can get back to Crow Park and all and final and rectify that. Okay, it, was, it was well debated or whatever afterwards. That's fine. No problem with that. Probably, probably the, right, the right thing to say about it or, or whatever. Right call was made on us, but look, we just we just get on with it, um, and hopefully we'll we'll again hopefully we'll put ourselves in a position where we can we can set up a maybe an all Ireland final. Please God, would you would you? Now maybe all of these words are a bit harsh, but 
was it kind of down to fatigue the players not getting out into position or could it have been complacency or would it even have been a bit of nervousness or, or fear like just being so close and not be, being too afraid to mess it up kind of that they, that they weren't getting out into the positions for short puck outs or there was a lot of lads going down a cramp um, like it's probably there's there's a few bits to it again Gary like you could probably say that yeah like maybe lads were a bit tentative and maybe they were so close to getting to an other and finding it yeah they were kind of saying to themselves, right, let's not lose it with a sharp hook out. Yeah, again, like you, you also have to factor in as well, like what you were saying there. It was a hugely, hugely intense game. Um, a lot of our guys were probably out on their feet at stages. It was a very warm day in Co-Park that day as well. It comes back down to experience probably as well to a point where I think, to be honest, if we, if we had our time again and if we if we do get back to a, to that situation again, I've no, no doubt in my mind that we'll execute it correctly and we'll we'll do what we need to do in that situation to get us over the line. But obviously it was it was it was debated and probably is still even being debated to this day and that's fine. That's fair enough. But look we'll as a group of players, we'll take it on the chin, we'll get on with it, we'll 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 um we'll make the improvements where we need to make the improvements. And again, like that probably falls back on my shoulders where I should have been maybe coming out with my goal and telling lads, look, we need to set up, we need to get we need to we need to get our set up right here. We need to do this, we need to do that to to kind of get us, kind of get us moving again, or kind of get us back, kind of get a foothold back in the game. But look again, you need to factor in as well. Tipperary, hugely experienced team. A lot of those guys were going for their third All Ireland. I think the likes of the Noel McGraths, you know, the Bubbles, Bubbles and Lawyers, and, and these kind of guys. So vastly experienced team. They probably had a bit more All Ireland semi final experience than maybe than what we had, and having been there a number of years previous, a couple of classic matches with Galway. We live, we learn, we get on with it. Please God, we'll, we'll, we'll be in that situation again where with 50, 10, 15 minutes to go on our final, we're in the driving seat and we can, we can rectify the temporary situation from last year. Obviously, you're the Wexford goalie and I think coming, being the Wexford goalie probably maybe brings a bit of extra pressure than most other counties maybe in a way that you're, you're following not too long after, in my opinion of what I've seen is the best goalie there ever was. Yeah. Do you f- kind of feel that honour like or pressure when you're in the goal for Wexford? Look, I, I, first of all, I, I definitely agree with you in saying that Damien Vitenry was the greatest goalkeeper probably to ever play the game. And, you know, I think everybody in Wexford and probably a lot of people around the country would would argue that point and probably adamant on it. But no, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say there's, there's pressure there. Um, to be honest, I think it's, it's probably it's probably a great thing to be able to, to be able to follow on from from Fitzy to be honest and, and to be able to wear the jersey after him to tell you the truth. But there would not there wouldn't be an element of pressure in it, Ben. Um, to be totally honest, like even even for a couple of years there, Fitzy was involved with with kind of Liam Dunn there and the management side of things, and he would have been in doing the ad session kind of with myself and the goalkeepers at the time, kind of before he joined the setup. So you know to be even able to work with him to be able to wear the jersey after him, it's. It's, it's it's great. It's it's kind of what I kind of dreamed about doing from a very young age, like and 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 kind of growing up seeing Fitzy, like and kind of going to extra mat- matches as a young as a young fella, like you know, because even though I suppose over kind of after '96 and maybe into the 2000s, Wexford probably weren't as successful maybe as they would have liked to have been, and you know, whereas Fitzy was still winning All Stars and winning the recognition for being the best goalkeeper in in the country in that era era. You know, been probably been the best goalkeeper of all time, really, to be honest, as far as I'd be concerned. Anyway. A lot of people think Cummins. I certainly yeah. don't. We're probably very lucky in that era that there was such a high quality and high calibre of goalkeeper because, you know, people from Cork might argue that 
Donlaw Cusack and sure people from Clare might say Davy and obviously Wexford would fight them if it's Henry's corner and Tip Crowd would fight kind of Brendan Cummins' corner as well. So you know, it was it was um, it was a great era of goalkeepers, really, to be honest. And I suppose, kind of growing up during it, you'd probably take bits from each of them that you maybe could feel you could add to their game, or you'd watch, you'd kind of watch them all, really, and how they like. Obviously, they, they were all very good at different things. So you you try and you try and pick up as much off them as you possibly could, kind of growing up and kind of very lucky to grow up in that era where you could see those guys in the flesh and very, very, very thankful for that, I suppose. But he never scored, scored from play though, did he? I, I'm not sure, actually. Probably not when he was hurling the goal. I think he, I think he dabbled a bit out the field for Maybe out the field, yeah. Career, all right. Maybe out the field or whatever, but your Fitzy, Fitzy was, was such a good hurler. Like he could, he used to hurl out the field for his club. He hurled kind of wing back, I think, for Wexford in a couple of National League games early in his, his Wexford career. So, like Fitzy, he could do, he could do the whole, he could do it all. Like, you know, he could hurl out the field he was the top class shot stopper, the best shot stopper probably ever. And, you know, he could just do it a lot. He could do it a lot yeah. to be fair to him. You, you, you decided this year to uh, to add another element to the goalkeeping position by, by getting a, a nice point from play. Yeah, it's, it's, it was something that, to be honest, it wasn't really worked on or it wasn't a kind of a set kind of a play that we'd have. It was, Jacko was so good at, at the line balls, to be honest. And I'd say he was probably brought back to take it from there. Because he can kind of get such a distance on it, it's nearly like a clearance kind of out of the hand from a half-back, really, kind of, I suppose. What happened was, I'd say probably teams are obviously aware that maybe we might try and, or we like to work the odd short one or whatever, and obviously the clear attackers and midfielders had kind of flocked to that side of the field following their men, and I kind of saw 40 yards of space, and I kind of said, Do you know what, I'm kind of going to go for this now and see what happens, and do you know what, it would have been a different story now, all right, if... If Jacko hadn't made it across to me now and the there, <laughs> I was standing over the open side now, kind of with my hands on my hips, like, you know, it mightn't have been as looked upon as positively then, all right? And I think it comes down to the flexibility and uh, the kind of license that Davey gives us to kind of go and express ourselves. Nothing is restricted, nothing is kind of off the table, really, with, with Davey and what, what, what we like to do and what we... So we're, we're, we're very, very lucky that way. Um, but it's just, it's just another example, I suppose, as to where the game is going as a whole, really. You know, you're talking about goalkeepers now. Like even I mentioned earlier that Stephen O'Keefe scored from playing the championship a couple of years ago there, down in the Gaelic grounds in a in a championship match for Waterford. Obviously, Ender Olin in leashes. You know, he's he's kind of ripping the place up at the moment, scoring from freeze. And you know, obviously, you've seen the video of him scoring a point in the Leash Championship in that last year, and massive, massive puck of the ball as well. And so, look, it's just a, it's just another element, another example of how the game is progressing and moving on, really. Like. Who is the best player you've ever played with? Through my time in college and through my time playing at Wexford in the club and that, I've, I've probably been fairly lucky that I've, been, I've played with a few good lads. Um, I played with Austin Gleeson for a couple of years in WIT. Incredible harder, top-class guy. Could make the ball sing at times, really. With Wexford at the moment, we're very, very lucky as regards the type of player that we have and the skill level of the player that we have. Like Joe O'Connor, I mentioned previously in the, in the podcast, very, very good hurler, very versatile guy playing literally in any position. Damien Reck the same, Kevin Foley. Very, very good guys. Damien Reck, Kevin Foley, absolute magicians. Kevin Foley is is absolutely magic, to be honest. And then you have the likes of Chin. Paul Morris, obviously, is 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 a very, very important cog in, in Wexford Wheel at the moment. It has been for a long number of years, kind of. He hasn't got the, the kind of, I suppose, the praise that he deserves. Um, and obviously, Mac then as well. 
top class hurler. But I, to be honest, I'd have to say the very best hurler that I've probably ever played with is, is Rory O'Connor, lads, to be honest. And there's a lot of reasons for that. I think Rory, his age, um, what he's what he's doing at the moment, given his age, his athleticism, and given the fact as well, he he has that bit of an edge to him that he he's a bit of a, a bit of a steely kind of an edge in him that that um, was going to carry him a long way in his in his intercounty career. And I think that Wexford, the Wexford supporters are very very lucky over the next number of years to be able to see the likes of Rory. Who, to be honest, I have I have no no doubt in my mind that he's going to go on to be. If not the best forward in the country over over a number of years, he'll definitely be up there in the conversation for for one of them. Anyway, to be honest, then obviously you have the likes of Keith Roster, who I hurled with, and I was very very lucky to hurl with for for a couple of years there as well. And Keith was just Keith was was top top class as well. So unfortunately for the lads, I'd say Rory probably shades it. Who was the best player you ever played against? You know, obviously play against our guys in the club championship on a regular basis. Face Connor Mack in training, face Rory in training, face Chinny in training. Um. And obviously as well playing Kenny over the last number of years in the Leicester Championship, the likes of TJ Reid, you know, Richie Hogan, lucky enough to be on the field the same length of time as Henry or for, for a, a period of time against Henry Sheffield in the National League game in 2014 as well. But to be honest, I'd probably have to say out of them all, I'd probably have to say TJ Reid, to be honest. He's um at the moment he definitely makes Kenny tick while they're they are they are very much a, a top class side. He's definitely their main man and will continue to be over the next few years. And I just think his ability and what he's able to do, whether it be from play balls or whether it be from play, you even see what he contributes to even Bally Hale at times over the last couple of years. But yeah, it's, I would probably say TJ Reid, lads, to be honest, is probably the best player I've ever played against. I've been up close with him a couple of times on on kind of penalty penalty incidences and that over. I think he's three penalty scored on me in, in the last few years. So... Just to be like, he's just an incredible strike of a ball, incredible accuracy, and then what he what he contributes then from general play. He's an incredible hand, very very good under hookouts and stuff. So TJ Reid for me, and the best player I've ever played against. Let's. What type of hurl do you use? I'm an Albert Randall thirty six inch goalkeeper hurl is what what I'm using. Thirty six. 36, yeah. Yeah, thirty six, yeah, thirty six. Yeah, it was actually to be honest, I was contemplating there for. For a while, maybe going up to a thirty-seven, maybe just to kind of give you that extra little bit of of a reach or whatever. But no, no I'm I'm quite happy as a thirty-six. I kind of be constantly kind of looking at areas in the game and kind of constantly tweaking with things that could feel maybe where you might get you might get a, a half a percent or a percentage here or there or wherever. But no, look, um, thirty-six inch Albert Randall. Anybody around Wexford in particular knows Albert knows the quality of hurl that he makes. So. Very, very lucky to be able to have that weapon to be able to use on the field. Anyway. And you'd puck it out with the same hurl as you're stopping it with? Yeah. Um, and you're taking frees and uh, uh, penalties yeah, with the same everything, the whole, the whole lot, yeah. Um, I suppose Albert would probably... It's, it's probably made Albert's job very difficult, I suppose, over the last number of years. Trying to put everything into the one hurl. You know, you'd like a hurl light enough to be able to stop the ball with, to be able to manoeuvre it in tight situations. You'd like a hurl that... There's a nice strikeout of the ping ping puck outs out the lads to be able to score penalties with to be able to hit freeze with. So there's a lot of things in kind of the one hurl, but to be fair to Albert, he's he's anybody again, anybody that knows anybody around Wexford that knows Albert knows the the quality of hurl that he makes and he's he's a he's a master craftsman really, to be honest. And just very, very lucky that he's kinda of, he's making them for me really, to be honest. You just have uh, two hurls in the back in the back of the goal with you. Two extra hurls. No, no, to be honest, I look at I'd have 
Sure, look, I could have maybe five or six, depending on how many I have at the time. And you know, as well, sure, look, obviously, you need to bear in mind, I suppose, that even if a team gets a 21 yard free, you know, you need to maybe have a few spare hurdles floating around the goal as well because you're going to it's have still to the case kind of either side. Of the new yeah, still, still the case, yeah. So, as far as I'm aware, the new rule is that if a player is fouled and there's a 21 yard free given directly in front of the goal now. There's five maximum allowed on the line, so two players either side. That's only for a free now, obviously. So obviously it's a different different scenario with a penalty, but you'd still have to have a couple of spare hurdles there for lads, maybe to if a lad wanted to use it. Now some lads some lads opt for it, other lads don't. They, they, they fancy using their own hurdle, but sure, it's really it's really down to personal preference. So I just have the a couple of thirty six spare ones. <laughs> couple of thirty six inch handles now when so you're when you're when you're the likes of Kevin Foley there now who goes around with a little wooden spoon now. Do you know what I mean? Going from going from that to a thirty six now is a is a bit of a jump, all right. So I think Kevin Kevin sticks with his own hurdle. I think anytime he's on the line, but yeah, it's just you're sure, looking. I suppose it's being prepared as well, lads. You never know. You could break two hurdles poking out the ball. You could break. A a couple of hours in the match, then you need to have you need to kind of have your backup hurdles there. So there's kind of a couple of a couple of contributing factors to that. Just thinking if if the ball is saved and it stays in play, you've got four four lads running out the field with 36 inch rattles. Yeah, yeah. goalie hurdles. We, we, we actually had a couple of uh, of um, incidents like that over the couple of years. All right, that I think there was one instance where Galway got a 21 yard free in a national league match, a quarter final in, in Wexford Park. There, Joe Canning had to go for the goal or whatever. We were a few points ahead, and ball was stopped, and you know, lads were trying to scramble it out, and there was just there was Albert Randall goalie hurdles kind of flying all over the place, and lads <laughs> pulling and scraping and all sorts. But yeah, there's been a couple of there's been a couple of instances like that. I think there was one there was one situation where I think it might have been Willie Debrick or one of the lads cornerbacks who actually ended up playing out the field with it for a good kind of forty seconds to a minute and a half. One of my goalie hurdles as well. So you know that can happen, but your look that has to just have to go with it. And if you could pick one player. To go to war with, who would it be? I'm going to slightly change the question, lads, to be honest, because I think the two lads that I have in mind are the two lads that I, 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 I go to war with at any stage or in the morning, to be honest. And I think that our two captains at the moment are, are two incredible leaders. And I think that Matthew, to be fair to him, Matthew probably gets an awful lot of criticism. And it's unfair criticism, to be honest, because Matthew on the big day... Matthew is he'll front up and Matthew will 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 be a real leader for us on the field and he's an incredible leader around the dressing room and he's what he does what he gives us off the field um, as regards organising stuff he's in regular contact with Davy and just an all around solid guy solid leader and on the big day Matthew Matthew was never found wanting and also as well then on on the flip side of it the other the other vice captain or the other captain we'd have then Lee as well who who's an incredible leader as well probably in a different way. Like Chinny, like he's the power players player that we'd have in the forwards who could drop a ball down on top of his head there when you really need to win a puck out, and he'll jump maybe four or five foot in the air over lads, and he'll he'll claw it and take it on, and he'll win a free or he'll he'll get a score. And the incident kind of at the end of the Leinster final, really last year when he jumped kind of three or four foot or whatever it was, and clawed that ball in the square when Kenny were hunting for goals and. You know that's that's a that's a catch for for the ages really, and that kind of leadership to really stand up at the moment and and the big moment and and claw the ball and take responsibility. The two lads are two lads are top class guys and they're they're incredible leaders around our setup. And to be honest, I'd be doing the other one an injustice by picking by picking one over the other. To be honest, we're very very lucky to have two captains that are the way they are, and I I pick the two lads to go to battle with in the morning. Yeah. Well, Ben, do you allow it? I will allow. <laughs> ben doesn't like that question. 
I'm happy with it. I kind of think it's okay now, but at the, at the time, I first time when I first said it, I just cringed. I went, oh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I can, under, I can understand that. As well. Ben just yeah, prefers yeah. to bring up all the all the negative moments of people's careers. <laughs> <laughs> try and drop, try and drop subtle hints for lads to retire, like a twenty nine, like dropping hints to retire. What, what did you do to poor Gizzy? I'd give him Gizzy a compliment, and next thing Ben turns around and asks him about. Liam Griffin calling him a bollocks or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Good cop, bad cop, lads. <laughs> Pretty much. Good way to work it. Good way to work it, all right. It's very natural. Good cop, bad cop. You're do- doing Damien Fitzy proud. And you've given yeah. us a fine, a fine few years and especially a, an absolutely iconic moment last year in the Leinster final. There was more incidences, I suppose, in the game than that that, that, that contributed, I suppose, to us getting over the line. And it was just a kind of a small moment in a, an overall bigger picture for t- 2019 and it was obviously look at it was a nice moment for me and my family absolutely no doubt about that nice personal moment but it was nice to be able to contribute in a positive way for the lads getting over the line but we're, we're slowly but surely putting it back to the place where it deserves and where history has dictated it should be so nice to be able to help the lads really as well you know and just play my part really for the record i don't want you to retire Thanks, thanks, Ben. Thanks, Ben. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. You redeemed yourself. Thanks, Ben. I appreciate it. Well, thanks a million, Mark. Appreciate this. Thanks very much. Class. Thanks, lads. Hope you enjoyed our chat with Mark Fanning. It has to be said, over the last few years, he's been brilliant for Wexford. Unfortunately, Shane Tompkins couldn't make it, as he's currently in a dispute with his club. I believe he's demanding to wear his old Wexford gear in the club championship at the weekend, saying he wants to remind everyone that he played county. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another podcast. If you can, please subscribe. That'd be great. Thanks for listening. Most importantly, I'd like to thank you, the people of Wexford, who stuck with us through taking pain. All right, Wexford!